This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. Tuesday morning. I'm Coach Jen from Ocala, Florida, and you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 15th, episode 2097, brought to you today by the Certified Horsemanship Association. Good morning, horse world. Houston, we have a problem. Ability equals skill plus knowledge. Well, Glenn and Christy are both at the Denver Wisa show this weekend gathering intel on the latest latest and sometimes craziest products and services available to horse folks. So sit back and enjoy this gem from the CHA Audio Vaults. To make it better the next time. Help you, I can. Yes. Time for Training Tuesday on Horses in the Morning with the Certified Horsemanship Association. Well, good morning, everybody. Thank you for joining us on this Tuesday morning. We appreciate you being here. And of course, Christy is here with us. She is here the third Tuesday of every month. And uh, Christy, how are things? Doing okay, Glenn. How are you this fine day? Good. We're very excited. I want to talk to you about it some more, but uh, we're coming out for vacation. We've never been to Colorado, so we're coming to Colorado for vacation this year in September. And we're hoping to catch up with you because it looks like you're not too far from Denver. So... Really close. Actually, when you land at Denver International Airport, you fly normally over my house. Well, we'll wave. Good. Yeah, and then I'll know to come and, you know, say, hey, I'll That's see right. you soon. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll work that out. Details. That should be fun. Uh, it's, I, I looked to see if it was going to be a time that we were actually supposed to do the show. And it's not. But uh, uh, so I thought, well, we could do the show together. Ooh, we could have done it like super Wow, like next to each other. That would be weird. I don't know, because the nonverbals I do sometimes during the show, that, that might be embarrassing. Well, not I, only I don't that, know. I hear you're like under the stairs in a closet when you do the show. <laughs> so it might be, might be crowded in that closet it you do the show It might be a little in. crowded. <laughs> but we do have a great show planned for you today, and Jennifer's going to tell us about it. On this month's CHA episode, it's all about overcoming fear. CHA members Heidi Potter and Carla Ann Story are both going to stop by and help us overcome, get through, train past the seemingly endless variety of things that our horses are afraid to look at, do, or get near. So stay tuned for the fray, folks. Thank you very much, Jennifer. And before we continue on here, I just have to do this, Christy. Happy It's one of our auditor's birthdays today. Her name, oh, I'm going to mess up her last name. Uh, it's its Corinna, I know that. Uh, Marat or Mo, Marati? Marot? You have any guesses there, I, Jennifer? I don't. I don't, though, but. Just own it. Say it. Say it like you Marati. mean. Marati. That's right. Mar- Marati. <laughs> I'm going with that. Corinna, happy birthday. I'm sorry if I messed up your name. You're going to have to correct me and let me know what it is. But uh, we hope you have a terrific day. 
I love the birthday song with the horse neigh at the end so that's, much. That's uh, Jennifer, or that's Jamie's horse, Chili. And Chili has the most annoying Winnie ever. So we put it at the end of the happy birthday song. That's perfect. Yeah, yeah, that's what we thought, too. <laughs> that's what we thought, too. I haven't got Jennifer's new horse uh, has a huge, very loud Winnie. It's the loudest Winnie I've ever heard. If he whinnies beside your ear, you're going to be deaf for a week. Uh, it's just incredible. And we did record it, but it doesn't seem to do it justice, you know, like you're st- when you're standing right beside him. It's just so loud. It echoes. We, it's that loud. So you'll have to get some soundtrack of that, too. Because that's very entertaining. We got, speaking of funny um, animals that make funny noises, we just got a little bantam rooster, a Plymouth Rock bantam rooster. And he's so little and he's so cute. And he goes, (laughs) (laughs) that's a perfect rooster to have in town. (laughs) Oh, it just makes us giggle. He's so cute. He thinks he's all that. And he's so small little voice. So cute. Is he going to get bigger? Or the bantams are really tiny. As oh, adults, no. Right? I think that is the full-grown rooster extravaganza noise we're going to get every morning, which we kind of like because we don't like to wake up at five. We're a little lazier here at this house. <laughs> but that's cute. How many chickens do you have? We have 13 now, including him. Uh, yeah, I can't tell you how many of our listeners have chickens. We have a lot of eggs. Yeah. Everybody has a lot of eggs to give away because you, can, you can't eat them all. It's really fun, though, because you end up being able to give them away to neighbors that are helpful. And you know what I mean. They end up now, being are yours enclosed gift. or do you find eggs in the strangest places? You know, we have a coop, an indoor-outdoor coop. But I'll tell you, they still decide, meh, I'm going to lay them outside, going to lay them inside. They, they don't necessarily go in the nesting boxes. So that's all right. It's Easter every day. <laughs> there you go. Do you get colorful eggs, too, like brown and green and yellow? We and do. All? We have an Americana that lays greenish-bluish ones. And then we have some uh, of those chicken exficiados on the call here today on the radio show. We also have um, Polish hens that lay white ones and then a bunch of different varieties that lay brown, like leghorns and things like that. Now, we used to occasionally, when we had our chickens, get double yokers. Do you ever get double yokers? Every now and then. Yeah, yeah. pretty cool. We and had the one chicken that would give us double yolks almost every time. Ooh. I, don't, I don't know how that worked, but... Uh, kind of fancy. You were saying you you have one that... Yeah, no, we just have um, just such, such a different variety of them. And we have one that when they're really, really scared, we get pretty intense thunderstorms here. Um, and when they're younger and they're not used to the thunderstorms, they some sort of... a. Um, a response happens in their body where they lay eggs with no shell. So you'll go out and you'll have this. Yeah, it's the most bizarre (laughs) thing, but it won't be all over the place. Like it's all contained inside almost like an embryo sack. Yet there's and there's no shell. It's fascinating. So my son, two years ago, took his uh, hen to the 4-H competition. He ended up going to county fair with her. And he's about to do showmanship class. And she was so nervous, the chicken, that he had her on his lap. She, first of all, laid an egg on his lap, which is very unusual. And it, it was just an embryo egg. It wasn't a shelled egg. Fascinating. <laughs> so now, what do you do in showmanship in a chicken class at the fair? Oh, boy. So, you know, showmanship at horses is a pretty similar, actually, because first of all, you have the day before you've got to groom them meticulously, including the toothbrush for their legs and their toenails. 
You have to get it out and scrub them. And then you have to wash them. And then they almost have like this show sheen type stuff for them to make their feathers nice and soft and gleamy. And yes, and then you have to get up there with your showmanship hen or rooster and you have to flip it over and show that it can lay in your arms kind of nicely that way while you show the underneath parts of it. And then you have to hold it. You have to touch its beak. So you have to get it used to that. You have to open up each wing and show its wing feathers. And it's a big deal. It's pretty cool. <laughs> do they do little jumps and you know things like that too? You know, I've only seen that on YouTube. I have never seen that in action. No, they just hold the chicken in their hands and talk to the judge. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. All right. Uh, you were out and about over the last, what seems like you haven't been home since we did the last show. Well, but you know what the good thing is? I was just thinking today as I woke up, I said, I do not travel again for work until September. Oh, wow. That's good. That's really good. I'm very excited about that. So that's yeah. good. But yes, I just got back from the American Horse Council in uh, D.C. Um, and then ended right before you were at the American Horse Publications in Florida. So lots of exciting things going on. And the American Horse Council was fun. I actually got to meet um, Corey Gartner, my uh, senator here from Colorado. So that was that was exciting. We actually went up on the hill and had some visits with people. And we chatted about industry issues while we were at the hotel where the AHC actually met and with lots of committee meetings and things about what's going on. And it was so, good to see everybody. So what is going on with the American Horse Council? I think a lot of people don't even know what it is or does. Yeah, so, so I'll tell you a few things. So the American Horse Council is technically um, kind of the umbrella association for all the state horse councils. So if you belong to, you know, Colorado Horse Council or California State Horsemen's Association or whatever the case may be, your state council belongs to the American Horse Council. And so they have a big coalition meeting there. And then it also um, is the one that lobbies for us on Capitol Hill. So when there's issues involving agriculture or trail closures or things that might affect the horse industry, American Horse Council goes to bat for us. And we actually have um, Ben Pendergrass is our main lobbyist through American Horse Council. And that's for everybody to be able to share him who pays dues uh, to be able to do those things. And some of the issues right now, um, not necessarily the ones on Capitol Hill, but the ones that were being talked about as far as that, just the meeting of all of us was microchipping. It was oh. pretty fascinating, actually. Why was and the it jockey club. Why is it a conversation? Well, because some of the associations are starting to make it mandatory. So, for example, the Jockey Club, who, of course, is the registrar of all the thoroughbreds, um, they are in 2017 going to start making it mandatory for all foals that are born in 2017 to be microcropped, to be, sorry, microchipped if they want to be in the Jockey Club registry. Wow. Well, you know, I, 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 to be honest, I kind of wonder why that wasn't happening already. Yeah, you know, it hasn't actually been happening across the board. You know, so what's happening now is that... It's not that expensive either anymore. No, it's not bad. They were saying, depending on your vet, it's anywhere from 15 to like $40 a horse. Now, if you only have one or two horses, not a big deal. But I guess they're a little bit worried about these places that produce, you know, 100 foals a year. Things like that, that it might start to get kind of spendy. But 
you know, probably the thoroughbred industry, especially the racing industry, can absorb that cost pretty easily. But then the other group that was doing it was the United States Equestrian Federation that, of course, runs FEI sport for us in the Olympics. And they also have a lot of uh, breed and disciplines that are part of them, such as the hunter-jumpers and the dressage folks and the Arabians and things like that. And what they're going to do starting in 17 is for year-end points for only their jumping side. So they're starting just with one group at a time. Um, because the Hunter Jumper Association said okay to this, they're going to go ahead and make it mandatory for all the Hunter Jumpers to be microchipped who want year-end awards. And then in 2018, it's going to be mandatory for all of them that show at all to be microchipped that are Hunter Jumpers. I was and then they're going to the, the Arabian. FE, yeah, I was surprised the FEI hadn't required that because they're usually up on regulating everything, you know, and not caring about cost. So I was always wondered why they hadn't done it yet. So it's on its way, well, which is I, and interesting. And Rosie just asked me a question. She said, would you, you just kind of answered it. Uh, would you, your vet microchip, or can you do it on your own? Well, Rosie, when Jennifer and I got ours, uh, we bought them from Net Posse. We bought them from uh, Stolen Horse International at a show. And they have the do-it-your-own kit with, the, with the, the syringe and the whole thing. The problem was when, we got, when I got it home and handed it to Jennifer, who does all the shots and stuff that we, you know, half the vaccines and everything we do, and she's done it for a year, she looked at the size of those needles and said, no way in hell I'm putting that in my horse's neck. So um, we had the vet do it. <laughs> we didn't buy it yeah. from the vet, but we had the vet do it. You can buy it from the vet, too. There's like two or three yeah. different tracking organizations, right? Net is one of them, and then there's a couple of them. Uh, but uh, apparently the scanners can can read all the chips now is the way I understand it. Um, they can. They were yeah. talking about something about a 900 series. Like if your uh, microchip number starts with 900, that those have actually been duplicated so that you would want to remove those and start again. But if it doesn't start with 900, if it's 919 or 902 or whatever, you're okay. I thought that was an interesting bit of information as well. Huh. Yeah, so you definitely should yeah. consider And what a lot of people don't realize, this is an important point, when you microchip your animal, horse, dog, cat, whatever, emu, it's not you have to take that chip and you have to you have to go somewhere and enter data because the chip doesn't broadcast anything. All the chip does is store information. So if you put the chip in but then never go online and or go to your veterinarian and have him do it and enter the data about that animal, when some veterinarian somewhere or some organization goes to scan it, all they're gonna end up with and say is an empty chip that says, Yep, there's a chip in there and that's all they'll get. The information has to be registered somewhere with a tracking company. Did you do that with ours yet, Jennifer? <laughs> what? <laughs> There's just silence. I got to call a guest. I'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> do you have yours done, Julie? Don't see you volunteering, Glenn. Do you, do you have yours done, Christy? I do not. Not at this time. See, no. there you go. Well, that there's all we know. We need to get somebody back on and talk about microchipping again. But yeah, it is a great big needle. I got to tell you, doing it yourself, you have to have some confidence. Giant. It's giant. <laughs> it's it's pretty big. But, but it was really good to just kind of see that in action and kind of see where that was going. And then um, the Unwanted Horse Coalition is a part of the American Horse Council. So they did a lot of chatting about um, the gelding clinics that they're doing around the country. And these gelding clinics are being done at ridiculously low prices. I mean, go and get your stallion gelded for $50. I mean, really, really amazing. And I think very, very good um, 
for the different areas out there that might have a few too many that are stallions. So that was that was good to kind of hear about that and where the the direction that group is going. Um, and then the Animal Welfare Council, of course, is a part of American Horse Council. So talks there, just a lot of different topics. It was very informative, and I do enjoy going. And every morning we get up at 6 a.m. and we go walk the mall. And that group started out with just a handful of us, and it's now up to about 10 of us. And we really enjoy doing that before we have to sit in meetings all day. Yeah, that is one thing. Uh, now, Julie Broadway it was the was in charge of the Morgan Horse Association and is now the new president of the American Horse Council. And uh, she's such a neat lady. And I assume that that she got she got her new job or got appointed or whatever they do. She ordained. did. So she did got recognized as the new one. <laughs> yeah. And then Jay Hickey had a little retirement party. And you know what was so great about Jay Hickey and Glenn and Jen, you can appreciate this. He has kept every single lanyard from his 23 years as the president of American Horse Council. And he put them oh, wow. all on to do oh, his wow. retirement <laughs> speech. <laughs> We have our lanyards too from our media passes for the years, yes. and I can't imagine what he ha- he has because we have a stack. Wow, <laughs> isn't that great fun? So, I mean, it was like it took up like his whole neck. You know, it looked like a gigantic scarf. It was great. <laughs> yeah, it would with uh, he's been to a lot of different. So he, how long was he there? Twenty three years. Wow. Wow. Well, look, Julie, there's job security. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> You're good That's to right. go. You can be there a while. You're oh. good to go. Well, you were missed at the American Horse Publications, though. Uh, I did get to see Sarah. Sarah was there, who does a lot of writing and things for you. Yes. Uh, so I got to hang out with Sarah. Matter of fact, she was kind of my mentor showing me the ropes of the uh, American Horse Publications Conference. Oh, since she's been there a few times. Yes. Yeah. And for those that don't know, it's the it's basically all the equine journalists get together and they have learning sessions which i did learn a couple things that are going to help us out a lot and you know i never went to that because i never considered us journalists before uh we're really not journalists we're more entertainers and that's kind of why i never went to it but i i should have been going all these years i didn't realize that there's a lot of companies that go and uh, a lot of sponsors that go and things like that as well. Plus, we work with all of these people. They're, they come on our shows and do updates. And, you know, I've worked with a lot of them in the past and a lot of them have guests in the shows. So, yeah, I should, I should go to that. And, Glenn, I would say you guys are definitely not just entertainers but journalists too because broadcast. This is broadcast news. Yeah, but we don't really write news. We do headlines. We, do we make headlines. fun of them. That's we news. steal everybody else's news. And you have very informative guests on your show. <laughs> I know. It's just so funny how we, we perceive ourselves, right? Um, and then, and the other thing is journalists tend to back up their sources. We just say it. <laughs> so that, that's the other thing. <laughs> okay, not, fair we're enough. We're not saying that we are, uh, we're legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're entertaining. <laughs> Right. You know, I never claimed that anything we said was true. It's our opinion. So, right? I mean, right. we never claim that it's true. We just claim it's our opinion. So you have to find out more information if you really want the truth. That's right. <laughs> Start it. <laughs> if, you really, if you want the real story, here's a good link for you. That's, That's you right. Know. That's exactly what we do. But we do have fun guests. And I, you know what? It is an art. The one thing that can happen is when a journalist uh, in a magazine interviews a guest, 
they then take that and they can couch it really any way they want to. It, I, I actually think it, it's a it's a bigger skill to be able, like we do, to interview people live because you get what you get. We can't take and then rewrite that before it's ever published. True. Um, and we can't pick out the p- bits and pieces, which is what tends to happen, right? You, you pick out the bits and pieces that you really want to highlight, and that's what you put in there. We get the whole thing, and we have to make that interesting. So that is a difference when it comes to interviewing and interview skills, and we actually had that conversation with a couple of people. Uh, and they said, no way in heck I would ever do that because, you know, they're, they would be scared to, to get it for one, to get an answer they don't want. And, you know, we've had that certainly in the past or the answer surprises us to the point where we're like, wow, you know, and but <laughs> but then we have to follow that. Right. I mean, then we have to take that answer and then ex- expand upon it no matter where it is. We have to go with it. So that is a difference that that I see. Uh, and then the other thing we talked about, too, you'll find this interesting is with magazines and newspapers and videos, even where you're hitting people when they're when they're focused on reading or watching videos in a time when they're not doing it, something else. We hit people when they are doing something else. They are Cleaning either their stalls they're, or whatever the case they're may at be. work uh, uh-huh. right now. I'm getting messages from people that are at work. Um, so they're at work. They're doing other things. They're they're driving. They're you know clean, doing dishes. Whatever it is, they're doing other things. So it, we talked about the fact that we tend to have to be a little bit. We ha- we cannot go real deep into a subject. We have to tend to be a little bit more entertaining and not go quite as deep because people are not giving us their full concentration when they're listening. They're doing other things. So it's interesting. It's an interesting dynamic between the print world and what we do. Uh, well, that's why every now and then you have to do something like squirrel so you right. get their attention again. <laughs> well, I certainly uh, accomplished that a lot because uh, <laughs> I don't have any problem with that, Christy. Well, now I know. <laughs> you have some clinics coming up, right? So now I have a question. Yeah, sure. But speaking of squirrel, that's what made me think about this. So in the dog world, thanks to the movie Up, that's what the dog does. Squirrel! Yes. What does the horse say? Cow? Oh. Is that plastic his ex- bag. exclamation? I think plastic, plastic bag. <laughs> and that is such a good lead <laughs> to our of topic today. <laughs> yes. Well, you know, a long time ago, right around Halloween time, there was a um, really funny cartoon going on on Facebook about the horror movie for um, horses. And it was a really scary Halloween movie for horses. And it had this horse sitting there eating popcorn. And it said the plastic bag from hell. And she, oh, yes, was all yes. scared. Do you guys remember that? And it's just so yes. funny because you think about our horses as flight animals, right? I mean, that's what they do. They flee when danger comes, right? They don't sit there and, you know, stand up to it. And we had a horse once that was so afraid of mountain bikes, so afraid. And so my husband and I would like to go on trail rides together. Well, he doesn't ride the horse. He rides his mountain bike. Well, there was no way that mountain bike could be behind the horse when we first started. I had to always be behind the mountain bike, so I was chasing it. And over time, the horse got over it because it became the predator of the mountain bike instead of the other way around. Right. So many ways yeah. to get your horse used to stuff, to but too. so yeah. funny. Hmm. Interesting. Well, now, you know, different things. Plastic bags are obviously one that uh, spooks horses, but we've had, boy, we've had horses that have been spooked at the weirdest stuff. Like, uh, 
like realty signs. Speaker Jennifer's old uh, quarter horse used to spook at realty signs. I mean, and and we have a lot of realty signs in our neighborhood. Yeah, just hated realty signs, and I don't know why that was. Other signs were fine, but it was realty signs. Maybe it's because they're in the you know they're kind of along the road and they're low. You know, I don't know. He was Uh, afraid of new neighbors. He wasn't (laughs) sure about who was going to move in. (laughs) I don't know. Yet my pony, who who spooks if he hears something behind him, not sure what it is, it will take you on a on a ride in the cart. Uh, we had they did road construction here. Anything mechanical, he would he is not afraid of. They had the street sweeper. We drove we drove him past the street sweeper. You know how scary are those things? They look like they're going to eat everything in sight. And there was no problem. And he'll go up to like big bulldozers and stuff and sniff them. But yet, if it sounds like a horse running behind him, he's out of there. Yeah, he's just gone. Thank you. Yeah, it's just so funny what they're afraid of, huh? It is. But I'll tell you, that's why I'm so excited today to do what we're talking about, because there's many different ways to get them over it. And you don't have to say, well, fine, then my horse is just never going to go out on the trail. It's way too spooky. I'm just going to be in the arena forever. Yeah, no, you can you can get them past some stuff. So that's what's, that's what's really good about it. But, you know, we do, Glenn, like you were saying, we have a bunch of clinics left in June for anybody that still wants to do um, some certification as either a barn manager, equine facility manager, uh, riding instructor, what have you. And then we, we kind of get a little bit less in the summer because, of course, everyone's teaching. And then we do a few in the fall. But we do still have some regional conferences left that I just want to really quickly mention that are all education, not certification. So you go and enjoy and learn um, August 26th through 28th, we're going to be at the Highlander Ranch, which is in Waco, Texas. And then on September 10th and 11th, we're going to be up in Cheyenne, Wyoming at Laramie County Community College, which is super. And then in um, October 28th and 30th, we're going to be up in Northern California area. Um, so we have a bunch of different ones coming up. So check out our website chainstructors.com and come join us. It's open to everybody. Very good. And also you, you have your regionals and nationals? Yes. So those are the regional conferences. And then our nationals is our big one that I personally put on every year for the association. And it's going to be November, um, sorry, October 20th through 23rd in Murfreesboro, which is right outside of Nashville, You're going Tennessee. country. Yes, we are. Super fun. Right outside of Nashville, Tennessee. That's right. And I get an accent every time I think about it. I know where everybody's going to be going in the evening. I have a feeling. Yeah, we're ending early every night because that poor last speaker won't have anybody there. (laughs) No, that's true. And what is the name of that street in Nashville? All the people in Nashville are going to kill me. Broadway. Broadway. Everybody's going to hit Broadway. And guess guess when else you're not going to have anybody there? The nine o'clock session in the morning. <laughs> That's the other time you're not. We learned that at the podcasting conventions now is the if like they always do the keynotes in the morning, right? To start the day. Right. And that's a mistake because, because I did the one keynote and the room filled up about halfway through my talk uh-huh. uh, because they had all been out partying the night before. So yep. they had to have a little extra shut eye yeah, before they so came. I'm just warning you, maybe start the first class at 930. Okay. Or do the first class with somebody that, you know, I don't know, a little bit more irritating to you and has begged, borrowed, and stealed their way in to be a speaker. Oh, did I say that out loud? Just kidding. We don't have anyone like that, ever. <laughs> now everybody doing the 9 o'clock is going to be going, I know they're going to think I did it on was purpose. That, <laughs> was that me? You better have, yes, you know what you need to have at the 9 o'clock is an activity that they're actually moving. You need to do one of your moving yes. activities. because I agree with you. Yeah. 
Uh, and make sure there's loud noises for the hangovers, too. Just saying. <laughs> that's that's, that's what you want to do. You're just mean. <laughs> All right. Let's introduce our first guest. Okay. I'm thrilled to have Miss Heidi Potter on today. I know Heidi through CHA because she's one of our master instructors and clinicians. She also is a centered writing clinician. She also just became recently an accredited trainer for the International Horse Agility Club, which is very exciting. And she runs a program in southern Vermont at the New England Center for Horsemanship called In Harmony with Horses. So Heidi has had years of being a full-time instructor, trainer, presenter, and clinician for our wonderful horse industry. So welcome, Heidi, to the show. How are you? Thanks, Christy. I'm doing great. Good. It's so good to have you on today. How's everything going in southern Vermont? Oh, it's good. We've had a, a lot of hot weather. We have our hay sheds full of first cut uh, way early this year, at least two or three weeks early. So that's always a good feeling. And we had a, a massive thunderstorm last night, so we at least got a little rain, which we really needed. So it's beautiful here. It's great. <laughs> good. So you're nice and green this time of year? Oh, very green. The grass is growing out of control. I love that. We are finally getting a little bit here where we're pretty green right now for our high mountain desert here in Colorado. Thank goodness. But I know I go out east and I just love it. You guys are always so green. So what else would you like to add um, that I maybe didn't include in your bio to let our listeners know a little bit more about you? Well, I think um, the... The focus that I've that I've taken on the last few years has really been helping people to improve the relationship they have with their own horses. Um, I don't run a lesson program anymore. I did that for a long, long time, and uh, I really enjoy traveling and and working with people with their own horses and just you know sounds like a cliche helping to improve the relationship, but really doing that, really helping them understand how their horses learn. Um, you know, horses are so different. I do a lot of obstacle training on the ground and under saddle, but we always started on the ground just to help people kind of get a feel for when to encourage their horse and and when to step back and just give them time and when to just walk away from it um, so that you build that trust. Um, You know, I I encourage them to think about it uh, like a child who's afraid. You know, when a child's scared, we don't just thrust them into the situation. We, We really take our time to to build their confidence slowly and, and, you know, assure them that they can trust the decisions we're making. So I think uh, that really goes hand in hand with, with our horses. So that's that's the focus that I, that I really have. I so appreciate you Heidi being on the show today because we had a, um, a show about a year ago now on fear and riders, because, you know, we talk about that a lot, um, fear and riders and handlers yeah. and even drivers, right, Glenn, that there's that kind of fear. But we, we, don't, we haven't had a show yet on fear and horses, and the natural response of a horse, of course, is to flee or run away or spook or shy. I mean, that's, that's a natural instinct in a lot of them. And I know a personal pet peeve of mine is when you call a horse bomb-proof. It is, it is not bomb-proof ever. If I put a bomb by your horse and it goes off, something is going to happen. <laughs> So I think this conversation, you know, today is just really good. And so I love um, that you kind of come from it from an overall perspective. So what are some overall training methods that you like to do to kind of instill that confidence in horses? 
Yeah, well, that's a good question. And, you know, when we do the horse agility clinics, which for people that don't know, it does exist. Um, I'm affiliated with the International Club, which is out of Devon, England. And, you know, we start everything on the ground. But when I do a clinic, the first, gosh, at least 45 minutes is just what I call relationship training, just ground handling. You know, everyone's anxious to get on the obstacles, but if you haven't kind of set up that relationship yet, the obstacle stuff doesn't go so well. So it's just, you know, will they lead on a loose loose lead rope? I'm never interested in having people, you know, either drag their wagon or the horse drag them, you know. Um, so we're looking for this partnership where the lead rope has a lot of length to it and the horse is choosing to be with you and you're using energy and body language and all your kind of natural aids before pulling on a lead line, before using pressure. So we do a lot of that, have the horse stand and then come to you just with your body language. Um, And your voice is a a natural aid, so nothing wrong with that. A lot of stroking, a lot of petting. And one key point before we ever get into obstacles or dealing with fear issues is looking for the horse to lick and chew. So even if we've, we've done something in hand and maybe this horse just kept getting past us, kept walking past and walking past and just kind of oblivious to the fact that somebody was holding their hand, so to speak. Um, once we make a, make a couple corrections and maybe really let that horse know, you know, we're here, then letting them soak is so important. And, you know, I tell people in the clinics, if a human being has to stand still and wait 60 seconds, like one minute, it seems like an eternity. Um, but depending on the horse, it can take a long time. And 30 seconds can seem like a lifetime. A minute and a half seems like, oh, my gosh, couldn't even do it. Um, but once that horse starts to drop their head, blink their eyes, take a breath, blow out, and then lick and chew, after they're done with all of that, then they're ready for the next request. Um, so I really encourage people to look for that in wait. Um, and the human also really doing a lot of deep breathing and showing their relaxation in their body to help that horse know, you can come down from whatever conversation we just had or whatever bothered you. Um, let them soak, let them process and relax, and then go on. You know, maybe then start your obstacle training. Heidi, I love that because, you know, we talk about the four natural aids as seat, legs, hands, and voice, right? Mm-hmm. We talk about those a lot. Where's mm-hmm. breath in that? Breath is a natural aid and breath has to be in that because it doesn't matter if you're leading the horse or riding the horse. The minute you don't breathe, that's not going to go so well. Things are going to happen because the horse lives so in the moment and can feel that tension and then they stop breathing too and then they get all that tightness and tension. So I love that you talk about breath even while we're leading the horse. It's not just when we ride, you have to be able to do it on the ground as well. Yeah, that's so true, Christy. Um, you know, it obviously comes from my roots in the martial arts and my roots in the centered riding as a centered riding clinician. And all of these centered riding basics, soft eyes, breathing, balance, centering, grounding is, is also added in there. All of those things are so important in communicating with the horse who, who relies on body language. You know, 99% of their language is, is, is not verbal. It's not vocal. So getting that human to to use their breath. I call it breath training. So here we train all our horses. When we take a big deep breath, you stop. So they may be cantering at Liberty in the arena and they actually, they actually start coming down on the in-breath. So they hear and the ears come on and they start to rock back. And by the time we, with our breath, they're all the way to halt. And we started on the ground and we do it at Liberty and then we have it in the saddle. 
Um, and people love that. It also, like you said, gets the people breathing. And, and you mentioned people being fearful. And I'm still going to say in my clinics, probably, I want to say 70% of the people um, are adult women over 50. I think that's the largest demographic, with at least in the horse industry I'm involved in. And, and a lot of them have some confidence and fear issues. And, well, they should. They're on a thousand pound, you know, flight animal. So um, the breathing really helps the human get kind of rebalanced emotionally, mentally, physically, and it has such a great effect on the horse. I agree. So let's get a little bit more specific. Um, what are some specific exercises that you might have people do? And we'll start, you know, some ground ones and then maybe move up into some mounted ones that just help when they feel that tension in the horse and they get that. I mean, obviously the breathing is huge, but what are some other maybe little exercises that are helpful? Sure. So when we're um, leading horses, I'm encouraging, I really don't want anyone to hang on to the buckle or close to the halter because the reality is, we're not stronger than them. So if a thousand pounds says, I got to go somewhere, and you're hanging onto that buckle, you're just going to get dragged along, um, or you're going to get in a fight with your horse. So we have slack in the rope. Now, very commonly, a horse walks past their handler, just because they haven't been taught. They, they don't know where they're supposed to be. So when, when the horse walks past, instead of reaching under their throat, where, you can't, where they can't see our hand, and they just get bump, bump on the halter, and they don't really have any warning it's coming we just turn left so we take a 90 degree turn so assuming you're walking straight out in the middle of the arena your horse is starting to get past you he he, his nose is beyond your you know your shoulder I kind of like the buckle next to the you know the buckle of the halter next to my shoulder I really want people to see the expression of the horse not let the horse get right behind them that's not safe and then if you can't see their eyes and ears you don't know what they're thinking so say the horse walks past, very common mistake, and not mistake, very common problem. As soon as they do, the human calmly turns left, sharply, 90 degrees. And the horse is going to bump into the halter and go, oh, wait, I guess my human's going that way. And it actually puts them right back into position at your shoulder. So that's a very common exercise that we do. Um, and I would say probably the second most common exercise is breathing to a halt. So you're leading your horse and we're assuming he's walking nicely next to you. Again, pulling on the halter, not fair. Doesn't even know it's coming. So I asked the human, take a breath in. On the exhale, drop your shoulders back. Kind of, you can even sink your haunches down because we want our horses stopping by their haunches. You know, we don't want to stop the head or the mouth or the face. We need to stop the feet and the engine. So body language, if the human rocks their shoulders back on that deep breath, drops their center down a little bit, the horse is going to stop and people are amazed. And if it doesn't work, you can lift your hands up. I like those hands carried out where the horse can see them out in front of you. Almost like when you're riding Christy and you have your reins, your hand, you know, your hands are out in front of you. I like that when we're leading because when we take the halter off, we're reduced to our hands, our body language and our breath. And I want my hands to really mean something. So I'm going to, when I take that breath, if they don't kind of stop with my body, I'll raise my hands up, not pull back, just raise them up. And it really works well. 
That makes really good sense because then you're relating everything on the ground to when you're in the saddle. And you know what I so appreciate, Heidi, is that you mentioned don't let them be behind you because that's unsafe. Because I think when people think long lead rope, they think, la, 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 I'm just going to go in front and have my horse be just following me. And well, something could still spook them and then they could jump on you, right? So I think that that being able to see them out of the side of your eye, like you said, is a really good idea, but not being, you know, too, too tight. So thank you for that. You know, it's interesting. Heidi is uh, I, I, I Sunday was with a very prominent Western trainer from the Western world who had done all kinds of different Western classes and now does Western dressage and we're uh-huh. and actually we're going to be starting a Western dressage episode on the, on the dressage radio show once a month and I said you're going to have to give tips he says my first one is teaching these English people how to just lead their horses uh, it, it drove him crazy when he'd see uh, English riders with their horses like dragging behind or, you know, running them over. Or, he's like, geez, that's the first thing we're going to teach them how to do is lead their horses. <laughs> so it was pet yeah. peeve of his. Yeah, Glenn, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, you're, you're absolutely right, Glenn. And, and I'm such a proponent for the relationship training and the ground training before you get in the saddle. And I can't tell you, and, it, and it's not just English people, so we'll be very fair. It's all people, all disciplines. Yes, of course, yeah. he's a Western trainer now working with English riders. I also got involved in Western dressage um, and love it, just love it for so many reasons. But, but anyways, aside from that, it's all people, and it's just, you know, we don't know what we don't know. So if no one ever told you, you would know your dra- horse wasn't supposed to drag you around. But what always shocks me in clinics is the horse is unmanageable on the ground, and people get on it. And sometimes it's, can you hold my horse? Can you hold my horse so I can get on? And I'm like, are you serious? Like, I wouldn't even get on that horse. He's not giving you permission to get on. So um, it's the cart before the horse, so to speak. Uh, But it, it just, it really is a matter of education, education, education. You know, I think people want to feel safe and comfortable. They want to feel, most people want to feel good about what's going on between them and their horse. But it's, uh, they don't have the tools, you know, and they need a lot of tools. We, you know, we need a lot of tools as trainers because there's no one thing that's going to work with every horse. So, you know, I, I can feel his pain <laughs> um, and we just keep helping. You know, it's what we do. Could you give us, Heidi, some examples uh, without naming names to protect the innocent of clients that you have worked with where they've had an issue and then um, with some of these methods, that issue went away? Yeah, actually, I just did two back-to-back trail clinics, uh, obstacle training clinics, actually. One was obstacle training at 24 people. We split it into two days at 12. And I actually shortened up the groups for riding of six and six. So I'm not interested in having a bunch of people out there with obstacles because what happens is they get bored waiting or, or they kind of want to, you always have the couple of renegades that want to go do their own thing. And I'm, you know, my job first is safety. And, and second is to take care of the horse, really, to preserve that, that relationship and help people figure out how to help their horse. So one key is we had a horse just uh, in, a, in a clinic last week. I did it in Massachusetts and, you know, different breeds of horses, different temperaments. So, we ha- I have I use a futon mattress, so one of your topics is mud and water. So I have an old futon mattress that I bring to a lot of my clinics. No springs in it, okay? It's got a real canvas, thick canvas cover on it. 
and it's unpredictable. It's squishy like mud and horses will step on it sometimes and step off it like, wow, will this hold me? So, you know, have a client go up to it. And it's my deal is as soon as the horse stops, let it stop. So the human nature is as soon as the horse stops, they start kicking on it, bumping it like it's a mattress, go. So now, and, and it works brilliantly with this horse, I said, you need to sit and you need to breathe. All, that's your only job is sit and breathe while this horse looks at it. So, and I, I use 10 breaths as, as kind of a guide and almost always by the fifth or sixth breath, the horse will say, oh, oh, okay, I can try a little more. So then we put a little leg on and I said, they don't have to, they don't have to do the obstacle, number one. That's always a rule I put out there. It's not ever about the obstacle. So I don't care if they never do the obstacle, nor should their rider at this point. You know, yes, yeah, we're trail riding. We've got to cross a bridge. We've got to cross water. We've got to get it done. We can train for that. But, you know, in a clinic situation, it's the process. So let the horse go forward. My rule is they have to look at it. So I said, you need to keep the nose pointed. If the horse is looking over its shoulder, it's in its brain, it's running. It's running south. So look forward. So just keep the nose on it. And so this woman did this with this horse and just kept him looking on it. Then let him approach it. Let him smell it. Let him bite it. Let him paw it. Then all of a sudden the curiosity factor comes up because they've determined it's not going to kill them. So now add a little leg. Keep your hands wide. So you're guiding the nose in the middle. We always take the short, the short way of the mattress before we go the long way, make it as easy as possible. And, you know, little by little, that horse kind of smelled its way right across the mattress. It wasn't a big deal. Um, had the woman gone up to it, just started kicking on the horse, the horse is going to dance and, you know, dance and prance and it, it, everything's going to get ripped up. The horse might do it and might do it really quick, might jump it, might run, up, run off it. And no, nothing got learned, in my opinion. There was no learning. It was just reacting. I always tell people, you know, my clinic participants, anyone can cause a reaction. You don't have to know anything about horses to cause a reaction, but we want to cause an action. We want to cause a thinking action. So in this way, using the breath and the patience, the hands wide, the progression, we almost always get it done. Heidi, I want to reemphasize what you said about wide hands. You know, I think a lot of us, especially those of us that were taught the show world, the hands stay in the box right in front of the pommel. That's where they stay and they do not move and la, 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 la. And the reality is, is that sometimes we have to have the wide hands in order to have success. And I would say when you're dealing with spooky issues and going over things that are spooky or whatever, that is such an important tool to widen your hands, which also, if you think about it biomechanically, if you widen your hands, you kind of sit a little bit deeper, right? You're a little bit more centered than if you're all perched with your hands forward and just right in front of the pommel yeah. all the time. So I love that you said that to be able to keep the horse's nose in the center and um, have the white hands. Very, very key. Yeah, it is. And it also helps bring people to soft feel. And I have, I have, you know, gated horses. I had a mule. I have non-gated horses. I have English. I have Western. I have dressage. I have eventers. I have every discipline. It's always open to everybody. And yeah, you have these people with these habits. The biggest thing is people being tight, pulling back. And now to add to the horse's anxiety, they've got probably a bit in their mouth. Uh, causing discomfort and the riders absolutely telling the horse, you better be scared because I'm pulling on your mouth and I'm kicking at you. So there's something really wrong. So the hands wide, you're right, Christy. People are going to sit back. They're going to open their chest and breathe. 
they're going to have their hands wide, allowing the horse to put their nose to the ground. And I keep reminding them, your reins are not what keeps you on the horse. You know, we talk about this a lot in centered riding. We practice riding without our reins. You know, I don't take them off, but we set them down anytime it's safe to do so. What can you get in your body? Because your balance keeps you on. It's not your reins. So to, to help people get rid of that control, that big control they've got in their hands, sit back, open your shoulders, drop your hands down, keep them wide, but soft in, in enough range so the horse can, can use their, their senses the way they need to. You know, they can't see directly underneath them. So I always also talk about vision, especially with obstacle training. Um, and uh, we have some exercises we do to show people what it, what is, how does a horse see? And once the people experience, they're like, oh, my God, that's why the horse puts his nose down, or that's why he turns his head sideways. Or, and I said, yes, exactly. So this is why we need to let go of them. Okay, so you know, I have a real-world question. Uh, so you're out yeah. doing a little bit of a trail ride around the neighborhood. Maybe you're riding alongside the road or whatever. And then the street sweeper yeah. comes, you know, that's going to eat everything in its path. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, how do you overcome that kind of thing? Yeah, great question, Glenn. So, and I use a. a, a by the way, that's happened to me. That that I've had that happen. <laughs> yeah. So I know. Yep. Yep. So this is where the centered riding basics come in, added adding clear intent. And so let's say you're traveling down the right side of the road, and the sweeper's going down the left. Yep. And there's a ditch next to you on the right. And in Vermont, a lot of ditches with barbed wire, stone walls. You know, it's not a place you want to go. So you. You acknowledge something's coming, then you don't look at it. You pick a target way down the road, maybe a pine tree. All you do is breathe and center yourself. Get your center down. If, it's, if your breath in your center is creeping into your throat, take a breath. When you breathe down in your center and exhale, you're going to melt around your horse. Okay, so you're focusing your energy, not hard eyes, not so hard you're not breathing eyes, but clear intent, like you're going into a jump, you're looking, you're going there. Clear intent, pick a target way down the road, just focus on your breathing, making sure your legs are relaxed, your feet are heavy, your center is back and in the saddle, you're not going fetal. Um, hands have a light feel. And I might put, let's say that ditch and that barbed wire is on the right, I might put a little leg and a little rein on the right side, a little extra to say, and by the way, if this gets exciting, we're not going in the ditch. So I want to keep that energy going forward. So I have a soft contact on my horse. I'm not loosey-goosey. I, I need to be safe. I need to guide him. But I, I want to make what we call kind of a power triangle. I want to keep him between my legs, keep him between my hands with what Christy was saying. Hands, this is hands out in the box. Yes, right out there. The, the rain guiding each side of their neck and you breathing, soft eyes. You can sing, you can talk, and you can look straight ahead. You know, uh, my dad always had this thing about driving, that you, you had to always drive defensively and always make sure you have an out. You always be looking for the out, mm -hmm. right? And, you, mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I'm a carriage driver and with a pony that bolts occasionally. So I'm always doing that when we're ah! driving down the road is I'm always yeah. looking for the yeah. out because he tends to want to go into the, in, into the other lane is where he wants to go. Uh, yeah. And I'm always looking to the right to see, okay, is that yard mm -hmm. big enough for us to, you know, what are we going to hit in the yard if we go <laughs> exactly. that direction? Um, yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, 
Yeah, that's a great point. And, and, and but I that's, I got to tell you, Heidi, that's really scenario. hard to do when you're sitting there and the mm-hmm. thing's coming. You're not sure what you're going to do. And I understand what you're saying because you're causing half the, half the battle because you tensed up because you're afraid of what your horse right. is going to do. He's tensed up because he doesn't know what the mm-hmm. hell you're doing up there. Um, and, and it just becomes a, a, you know, a a catch 22, right? Um, but, and you've all got about five, five seconds to think about it. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. Yeah. So here's what you have time for. I didn't say this before, but I am a proponent for getting off any time it makes a safer situation. If, and, and I'll do it. If I feel like I can support my horse better from the ground, I'll hop off in a split second. So everyone needs to know their emergency dismount. I'll get off and lead the horse. Um, I would also, we were, I was on a trail ride with a friend a couple weeks ago and we're going up this dirt road and I'm hearing chainsaws and I, and I'm hearing a tree fall. And, and my friend is very, very bold, very confident rider. She's great, great lady. And, uh, they have an organic dairy farm and she's just, you know, she's just so, so confident and so strong and so good in her seat. And, and I said, so it sounds like there's chainsaws and, and tree work up ahead. She said, yep. (laughs) <laughs> so apparently we're going there, right? I said, okay, you want, you know, you want, yep, we're going Okay. And I'm not on the most confident horse, by the way, love him dearly, but he, you know, wasn't born with a ton of confidence, getting better. I've had him for a couple of years now. So we're heading down. Well, we get around the corner. It's in a yard. So we're not in the woods. They're not dropping trees random. They dropped a tree and it's in the yard. Chainsaws are cutting it up and a cherry picker. We come around the corner and here's a cherry picker that picks up the trunk of a tree swings it to the side and drops it in a brush pile. And we are not that far away. Like we're in the dirt road and it's their yard. And uh, her horse was spinning donuts. Mine just kind of froze and got 18 hands tall. (laughs) (laughs) And I thought, I think I'll get off. Dirt road, plenty of room. I just got off. She chose to stay on. It was doing a lot of, lot of spins. Um, I said, you know, I'll, I'll lead. Let's, Tell me which way you want to go. There's a trail left, the road up ahead. Where are we going to go? I'll just, you know, go. It, it went really fine. So I am a proponent for getting off if it's more safe. And like you said, looking for the out. And that's so important. Um, always looking ahead for a driveway, a field, anything where you could give more space. So really, really, yeah, good points on that. Very good. So Heidi, where can people find you, find the clinics that you do all around the country and learn more about you? What is the best way to do that? Yeah, really easy. HeidiPotter.com. That's, that's my website. Uh, they can email Heidi at HeidiPotter.com. But uh, the website has an up-to-date listing of, of all the clinics coming up around, uh, around New England, uh, Wyoming in July, which is actually full. I teach a week-long retreat. I do this in a couple places. It's centered riding natural horsemanship. So every day we do some workshops, we do some groundwork, we ride, and then we take advantage of the facility. So there's some trail rides in the mountains. And then in February, I do uh, a Costa Rica holistic equestrian retreat, which I can't even say enough about. It's a bucket list item. It's just phenomenal. And we ride on the beaches and in the jungle. We stay in the most beautiful 150-acre ranch on top of a mountain in Nosara. Um, so th- that information's all on my website and uh, lots of fun stuff. Yeah. I'm going to get to Costa Rica one day, Heidi. It's on my bucket list too. Oh, I hope you do. My gosh, this, this, it's really beautiful. It's lovely. What a great experience. Wonderful food, helpful. We have our private chef and they just all local fare. It's so good. Infinity pool at the end of your horse day where 
you're looking out over the jungles to the ocean, drinking your rum punch. You know, I mean, it just doesn't get any better. <laughs> no. <laughs> Can we go now? Do yeah, we have to wait until February? Picture. You paint yes, a good picture. I know. Yeah, I, I, I have a visual have... in my mind. <laughs> Yeah, but you know what, Christy? The visualization is so much better in February. (laughs) Ah, yes. Good point. Well, Heidi, thank you so much for being on the show today. We so appreciate it. This is such an important topic, and I love um, all of your concepts of how to calm ourselves and our horses down and how to make things go better regardless of what the issues might be. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Glenn. Thank you, Christy, for inviting me. I, I appreciated it. Okay, Enjoy it, care, and thanks for what you do. Yeah, hey, Heidi, real quick, um, next week, uh, go to Dressage, uh, search for the Dressage Radio Show. Best way is to go to the app for the Horse Radio Network, and we are yeah. starting the Western, we're, we're starting the Western episode. If you just go to dressageradio.com, you'll find it, and it'll be once a month. The last week of the month will be uh, Western Dressage, so uh, we're, we're, we're very excited to get that started cool. next week. So you have to check great. it out. That's great. All right. All right. Thanks, do. Heidi. Bye. Thank you much. Yep. Bye-bye. Western Dressage is the biggest upcoming thing right now. It is getting so popular. Yeah, we've had um, almost at every international conference we do, we have a person speak on it, and it's always very, very popular. And you know what? So much fun when we do our international conferences and our regional conferences, Glenn, is we put people up on school horses that are provided by the host site. So you're not just in the audience watching. You can also partake and hop on a horse and be a part of it if you want to. So. We love when the Western Dressage folks come, and we've had a bunch of different ones from all over the country come, and all depending on where we're located. But it is it is a neat, neat discipline for sure. And the hosts we have for that are one comes from the uh, English dressage world and has you know gone to the upper levels of the English dressage world, and one comes from the very traditional Western show world. Perfect. So you know it, that's we recorded the first episode last Sunday, and I was with them actually, and we did it in person. And it was interesting hearing the two talk because they come from two very different worlds, but yet both fell in love with Western dressage. And yep. they, they t- really talk about the differences uh, between English dressage and then also Western showing. Um, and and it it truly is a you know it truly is kind of a meeting in the middle of those two disciplines. Absolutely. And, and I think that's why it's becoming so popular because it appeals to both English and Western, uh, you know. And they really get into nitty-gritty about training and topics and things like that. So I think it's going to be a lot of fun and a good addition to the network. Very good. Well, let's take a break. You know, they were talking about making hay. She said her hay, her barn is full of hay. I see everybody talking about making hay right now and posting pictures of them all hot and sweaty and dirty. God, I don't miss that. Um, <laughs> it's one of the things I don't miss about <laughs> having a big farm. And I thought I'd dig out Marianne Kennedy's Hay in Time. We're going to play a little music for you, and then we're coming back to talk more about building confidence with your horse and those uh, fun situations that we all get into. This is Marianne Kennedy. So far from winter, the grass is green Hard to imagine that we will need To feed the horses so slick and round But they're gonna need it when snow's on the ground Hay in time, hay in 
Cause it's hay in time So call up your family Call all your friends And we'll drink a cold one When the day ends And when we stack that final bail We'll celebrate and Cause it's hay in town If you are a farmer You know it won't make you rich It's hard work That's no lie But the satisfaction At the end of days like this No amount of money can buy with Hay in Time. You can find all of her music at MaryAnnKennedy.com. You're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network. We're here live at 9 a.m. through 10.30 a.m. every morning, Monday through Friday. And, of course, that's Eastern Time. And as you all know, we have Christy here with us on the third Thursday of every month from the Certified Horsemanship Association. Been doing this for years now. And we're making it a little bit easier on the Horse Radio Network sites, the first one to get redone that we've been redoing. We uh, very shortly, hopefully by the end of the week, we'll have all the special monthly episodes linkable right from the homepage. And you'll be able to go and it'll just list the, the monthly episodes for like the Certified Horsemanship Association. You'll be able to go and find all the past <laughs> episodes in one spot. So, and we're going to do that also over on the Horses in the Morning page. So to make it a little bit, a little bit easier for you to to market and to direct people to just your episodes, Christy. So I'm excited about that. That's very good. Yeah, we have them on our website, but I know that your website gets a whole lot more traction in that area. And I think that'll be great to be able to provide them right to it. So thank you for that. Yeah, and if they want to go back, like if they have a certain issue with their horse, we've probably done a show about it, right? So they'll be able to go back and just find that issue. And the other thing is if you're having a certain issue about your horse, Go to horsetipdaily.com and just in the search function, type in uh, what you're what you're having trouble with. And that we've Jennifer's up to almost thirteen hundred tips over there.
there. So we've probably done a number of episodes about that particular problem, and you can uh, buy a number of different experts uh, that we've had on through the years. We've had almost 6,000 guests now. And you know, you're going to be able to find a very short five to ten minute solution or a number of them that you can just go through and listen to them all right in a row. And some of those tips have come from the, the guests that we've had on the Certified Horsemanship Association shows over the years as well. So I, I just want to remind everybody that's there and it's very searchable over on Horse Tip Daily. Our guest is ready. Well, let's continue the topic of uh, finding out how we don't freak out our horse or ourselves. That's right. We yeah. don't want any of that. So no building confidence out. in horses. We are so glad to have Sharla Ann's story on with us today. She is from Shawnee, Oklahoma. She is a master instructor and clinician for both our Western and English uh, certifications and also for our instructors for riders with disabilities. She has lived in many, many places all around the U.S., including Alaska. She is an equine specialist, the founder and director of C-Bar Horsemanship Therapeutic and Educational Programs there in Oklahoma. And she also has her master's in education, and she teaches as an adjunct professor at the Oklahoma Baptist University. Good morning, Sharla. How are you? Good morning. I am great. I got to start here. I got to start here, Sharla, though, because when they said she said you were from Shawnee, Oklahoma, all I picture is the Wild West. Do we still have shootouts at noon? Because that's what you picture, <laughs> shoot right? Out at, shoot out that noon. Uh, they frown on that. Uh, oh, do they now? Okay, <laughs> just checking because well, <laughs> yes, it's a do. name out of the old Wild West movies, right? Shawnee, Oklahoma. You right. just picture shootouts at that's noon. Right. That's what I picture. That's right. Yeah, that's right. It's just you just keep that picture in your mind. That that'll keep the West alive. Okay, good. <laughs> it's not like that anymore. They don't have saloons and brothels and things anymore. Uh, right, right. No, okay. Moving on. That's uh, too bad, though, because that would be entertaining. Yes. I, I actually picture it the same way. So what is your weather like there in Shawnee, Charlotte? What do you have going on today? H-O-T, hot. Yes. It is hot. Not much of a breeze today, but um, it's morning, and so this is when it's less hot. Don't you guys get concerned but, yeah, in Shawnee, right though, when it gets hot like this, that we're the impending thunderstorms and tornadoes are coming? <laughs> right. That's probably the one of the most frequent questions we have um, living in central Oklahoma is we get asked about the thunderstorms and the tornadoes. And so we uh, we have a good uh, system of communication to let us know when those things are happening so we can run for cover. I've done every stereotype about Oklahoma I can think about uh, right now. Um, so I think I've covered it all. Do you have a bomb shelter for your horses? Our, my co-host uh, here Monday, Wednesday, Friday and is moving to Norman, Oklahoma, which probably is the epicenter for tornadoes in Oklahoma. Um, it, right. And she is actually looking at building the concrete bunker structure with standing stalls for her horses. Is that common out there or do we, do we just all run for the basement ourselves and let the horses fend for themselves? How's that work? Well, I have heard that as well um, with all the frequent tornadoes that have been coming through that and where some sadly some horses have been in that situation that some far, uh, barns and ranches with equine programs are starting to build um, a safe um, refuge for them as well. 
But now you've got to get them in there. I know this is totally off topic, Christy, and I'm sorry, but um, you, you've got to get them in there. That was my only thought is you really got to, as soon as you hear the early warnings, you better start rounding your horses up, right? Um, because Correct, yeah. correct. Yeah, that's the only thing I yeah. thought of. And then you better practice getting them in that box, that concrete box, right? Because that's the other thing. That's well, like loading them in a trailer. Well, some right, right. Well, some of the the um, safe refuges for the horses are not how we would visualize them, like our storm shelters. Some of them are um, much larger, and um, so it's not, you know, just a box. I'm, I haven't seen the ones that are a box, and I would guess be nervous about trying to get a herd of horses in, in a small, confined area like that in the middle of an emotional situation. Yeah, speaking about fear, we're all freaking out then. I mean, you got your people freaking out. You got your, <laughs> I mean, everybody's freaking, the dog's freaking out. I mean, just, yeah, yeah, Glenn, I was going to say, you're not off topic at all. No, I mean, really, comes, there's I'm a not, whole I, lot of fear just, and confidence well, issues going on. I was afraid I was going to get in trouble after the show, Sharla, so I kind of wound <laughs> it back around to that so Christy wouldn't get mad at me. That so, was perfect. That yeah. was great. Yeah, thanks. I appreciate that. See, I always get in trouble. Christy always uh, gives, you know, gets after me after the show because I'm so off topic most of the time but you know what he always tells me that was not a it was not a t- we're safe effective and fun he's fun fun and fun that's so right i see how that effective thing and actual training is where i get lost uh, but, all right, right go I ahead i would not consider this a rabbit trail actually this was a good lead-in to the uh-huh. topic of fear see i am so good look at me you are yes, good you because are. you think about it. We have got to train our horses on how we're going to evacuate in a disaster. And that includes loading them in a trailer if that's your plan. That includes leading them into the tornado shelter if that's your plan. Whatever your plan is, you have to drill that plan to make sure that the fear is not there in the handlers or the horses, right? Right. So I think it's perfect. So with that, <laughs> I will move on now. <laughs> so, Sharla, get my interview back yes. under control before Glenn takes it away again. Um, what are some specific <laughs> training steps. You know, we were asked a lot. Um, Glenn has this wonderful program where you can be an auditor of the show and you can ask for, you know, certain topics to come up. And we had a bunch of people respond when he asked about they have issues out on the trail um, doing different things like water and muddy, boggy areas and bridges that sometimes they don't have a choice but to go through these things in order to get from point A to point B. So I know Heidi was very general just now in some of her topics, which is what we wanted her to be, to kind of think about fear as a whole. Now we're going to get down into the nitty-gritty. So what, in your opinion, are some specific training steps to help a horse overcome a fear of going through water? Okay. And I want to reiterate what Heidi said and that we hope our audience will get from this, even as I go into the specifics. And that is relationships take time. We don't microwave those. And like we just talked about, for the emergency situations, we have to drill those. We have to practice those. And so um, one thing to help remember as I filter, you know, that you want to filter through your mind as I go through these specific steps is, is the rider safe or, you know, the handler if he's unmounted? Uh, Secondly, is the horse safe? And that means even emotionally, you know, we're trying to not just physically, but emotionally. And then third, is the horse calmer after the situation than before? And what if we filter things through that, then we'll better be able to ride where we can and not where we can't and prepare at home first. And, And in that, 
we want to remember the four needs of a horse because then when we're developing that relationship with them, we can know and read that horse to see what need is not being met. So typically, the four needs of a horse are first safety, then comfort, then relationship, and then food. So we're not going to use in a, in a fear-driven situation, whether it's uh, getting in the horse trailer or getting in the tornado <laughs> the tornado stall or crossing water. Um, when they're afraid, when safety is that need of safety is not met, we're not going to woo them into any trailer or obstacle over an obstacle with food. So we must develop those relationships at home. So the first step is like what Heidi was saying. We practice these things at home, leading and leading at liberty and leading on with soft contact and getting that horse's attention. So prerequisites for, for going over any obstacle or anything that that horse is fearful of is a good go forward cue, being able to lead and that horse um, being unison with you and being able to yield their shoulder and yield their hindquarters. And we want to practice those with smaller, less scary objects at home where they feel safe and um, comfortable. And specifically, for instance, let's say we know that we're going to be going on a trail ride um, in three or four weeks. And you know that your horse is afraid of, of crossing water, and this trail is going to have some waters to cross. So at home, you would start with something smaller that's less scary and to de- develop your trust and respect with the horse and his trust and respect back to you. And specifically, um, like Heidi stated, um, safer to start on the ground. Um, and let's say we put a blue tarp in the middle of our arena to simulate water. And so when we first come in the arena, what I like to do is take the horse and ignore the tarp altogether and just start doing my typical routine that I do with my horse every, every morning, and that is doing a pre-flight check, just circling the horse around me to the left, circling the horse around me to the right at a trot with energy, and checking to make sure the horse is sound first and foremost and then I I just continue to move their feet and get them listening to me practice yielding their shoulder yielding their hindquarters because when they get afraid and you've developed a relationship and they are trusting you then many times I don't know if you guys have had this when you're loading a horse in a trailer and then something spooks them or or scares that, that they're scared at then they want to jump in your back pocket to save to save you absolutely um so you want to have as a prerequisite to those situations is have a horse the cue to how to yield their their shoulder over. So I try to warm up with all those things. And the reason I do that is there's got to be a motivator for that horse to for there to be a paradigm shift for them to want to be closer to the water and not and not away from the water. So we horsemen, uh, we call it make the right thing easy and the wrong thing difficult. So the right thing in this situation is being having their nose at the water. You know, we're not going to um, try to cross the water imme- immediately. Horses are a prey animal. They want to use a very approach and retreat method to coming to the water. So we're not going to force them across. We as predators, as humans, we need to be mindful that 
we tend to have this attitude of we want it and we want it now. And I'm so thankful that Heidi was reiterating about taking the time and and allowing the space and that learning curve and process to happen. So after I warm up the horse away from the tarp, you know, they can see it, but um, I get their feet moving, their attention on me, we're warmed up. And then I just walk, nonchalantly walk toward the blue tarp representing the water. And when, when their nose is pointed at that tarp, then we stop and then they get to rest. And the second need of a horse is comfort. They want to, to rest. And so they, they rest. Now, many times they'll have their no, nose looking at the tarp and um, they'll want to shy backwards or bolt backwards. And so that's the, in this situation, that would be the wrong answer. And so then I start moving their feet again. So when they're away from the tarp, I'm moving their feet forwards, backwards, left and right, typically at a trot when I'm on the ground. And if I'm mounted, I will do it at a trot or a canter. And then again, approach on my cue, I will approach that tarp again. And the, the minute they look at it and put their nose at the specific spot that I want them to on that tarp, I pick a rivet or, or something, then I take all pressure off. Horses respond to the release of pressure. You know, again, with their second need being comfort, um, they're seeking comfort. So I let them know and communicate the right answer by releasing any pressure, any leg aid, any pressure from my seat. This, the split second that they are looking at that tarp. And then I repeat those, um, those steps over and over again, and they will seek the rest. And also they're developing that relationship that I'm not going to ask of them any more than what they can handle at that time. Does that make sense? Oh, it absolutely does. And I'll tell you, there was some key phrases there that I want to reiterate because I love them and I'm going to start using them. So I'm going to plagiarize them. They were so good. So I love the pre-flight <laughs> check. I think the pre-flight check is great, right? You need to do a pre-flight check before you're going to get um, that relationship to happen with your horse and make sure your horse is in the right space that day or whatever. And then I love, you don't want to microwave those. You don't want to skip that part. Right. You want that part to be on a very slow boil on simmer. <laughs> I thought that was really yes, good. Yes. yes, because there's something yes. that we do. We want everything so fast paced and our horses need that little bit of time sometimes to think and absorb what you're trying to tell them to do. They want to do the right thing because the right thing, like you said, provides safety, comfort and a relationship, right? And they want that. So they want to do the right thing, but they can't do the right thing if they're being pushed and prodded and that, so that those comments were great. Right. Um, it's, you know, when you, if you guys can kind of think back long ago, um, when you would go to the state fair or some place where there's a lot of people and just try to put yourself back in that state of, and then you got, you know, you're, you're a youngster, a child and you get lost. And when you get lost, your fear level goes up and then you're trying to search for your parents and you can't find them. But the split second that you see a police officer and you go to them because you need help. That feeling of, okay, there's hope, you know, they're going to help me find my parents. And then when you do find your parents, but that's the feeling we need to give our horses of that when they're in a scary situation, that there is something that I've done familiar, that cop is familiar 
our parents are familiar. And once we find those two, then comfort comes back to us. And so we have to practice these things at home so that they will know what, um, the, what the comfort is. And so if they haven't experienced us as the, as the comfort and the something that they're used to, you know, doing that out on the trail or at a parade or, um, uh, going over an obstacle, that it's too late. We shouldn't be trying to establish that relationship before that fearful, um, potentially fearful environment. Well, and what I love about what you just said is it doesn't matter if it's water. It doesn't matter if it's mud. That's right. It doesn't matter if it's a bridge. What matters is that all those things have been established beforehand, so you don't have to specifically do it for each type of obstacle. Once you've established that safety, comfort, and relationship with your horse, then the likelihood is they're going to do all those things and then some. Right. Just like we are with our children, we can expose them to everything in the world, but we can equip them with the tools and the communication to to learn to be brave and courageous and overcome those. So that relationship building, man, what Heidi was talking about and, you know, what we've heard others talk about is that relationship building and communication system and being able to read that horse. Um, You guys spoke on it in the previous session. The five five, um, signs of a horse relaxing, dropping their head, talking their leg, licking their lips, blinking their eyes, exhaling. Um, We need to be able to read those slight signs and give them that release of pressure whenever um, they are showing signs of relaxing so that we reward them for that. Very true. I think that it's such a true point that we're so handsy as humans we're, because we have that lovely opposing thumb. So all we want to do on our horses all the time is shorten the reins, shorten the reins, shorten the reins, right? And actually it's yes. just the opposite yes. that both you and Heidi have talked about, that you certainly want your reins at a length that are you know, doable. So if puss comes to shove, you have that. But that the more you tighten up on the horse, then the more the horse tightens up on you and you don't ever give them that release. So you never reward them for doing the right thing. Right. Now, when it's time, now there are times, and we all know that, when it's time to to turn up the heat. Um, I use the analogy of um, driving. When we drive in our in our communities, the we want the communication for our horses. We want to be soft as possible, firm when necessary. And CHA teaches ask, tell, command. Those three phases of communication. And um, traffic depends on us for safety for us to look at the speed limit sign and that's the the softest form of communication if we will just follow that speed limit sign then um we don't get any tickets or nobody gets hurt um but if we ignore that 45 mile hour speed limit sign then when that cop passes by his next phase of communication could be flashing his lights going hey now charla slow down or I'm going to pull you over. And then if he sees me coming through again and I'm speeding, um, the third time he's not going to flash his lights and, and give me that warning. He's going to pull me over and he's going to give me a ticket. So that level of firmness has risen to get to motivate me to look at that speed limit sign and slow down. And then the fourth phase, I use four phases um, actually instead of just three, but the fourth phase for that, police officer, if if I'm still speeding, he's going to pull me over, not just give me a ticket, but probably take my driver's license away. And for good reason, for the safety of everyone. 
And I think so many times as horsemen, whether it's mounted or unmounted, we have a very wishy-washy communication system. And horses are black and white. They're not like a rheostat. And so we have to be willing to go from soft as possible, firm firm when necessary. There's times we do need to give that horse a ticket and to motivate them to go back to softness. And then a lot of horses get, um, I've heard horse people say, well, this horse is um, stubborn and, and I have to have a heavy hand and a heavy, you know, heavy correction. And that's not what what I'm saying here. There's a time that we need to have either our leg aid or artificial aid to cause enough discomfort to get a change in behavior. And um, I'll use a specific example. If I'm on the ground and let's say, again, we're approaching that, that water and we're at home and we've already been um, established the repetitions and I've been working 20 minutes, 30 minutes on that repetition of approach and retreat and approach and retreat. And now I'm at that part where the horse is swinging at hindquarters back and forth and maybe even kicking out a little bit saying, no, I don't want to go forward. I'm going to kind of kick out at you. Well, if you use a tool, an extension of your hand or leg uh, that we, the dressage whip, we can apply um, rhythmical pressure or steady pressure from phase one to phase four, from soft to firm on that hip. And the split second that that horse leans forward, we take that pressure away. Then rub it away, just like a nurse does when you get a shot. Just rub it away. It's gone. So take that dressage whip, rub that spot away. And that horse, though they had that little miniature heart attack, then they see, oh, that wasn't so bad. And they learn the wrong answer of kicking out or um, backing up is the wrong answer. And that the rest is, again, when he's leaning or looking at the the water crossing. And um, same thing for, you know, entering a horse trailer. I think it's real important that we balance sensitizing and desensitizing our horse at home first and then move that into other environments and don't go from just home to a a trail ride or home to a parade. We need to introduce our horses, start at home first, and then move them to other environments with some elevated emotional, fearful pieces and not just go for the big, like the parade. I mean, horses are claustrophobic by nature. So when they're at a parade, there is pressure on the front, the back, the left, the right, and even on top of them. And so we got to practice desensitizing activities and obstacles at home and on other trail rides or at a rodeo where you can practice your pre-flight check and your circling and moving their feet you know, at a distance and then let them learn that rest is when I'm actually at that, at that place. Sharla, I so appreciate all your comments today and you are absolutely right on spot on. And thank you for helping our listeners. How can they find you? What is the easiest way if they want more information or if they live near Shawnee that they want to come visit you? They can go on. um, My personal, uh, my business email is Charla. C-H-A-R-L-A at cbarhorsemanship.org. And also they can visit our website at cbarhorsemanship.org. And um, our information is on there as well. 
Well, thank you so much, Charla, for being on today. I so appreciate it. And I know our listeners do yes, as well. thank you. And have a great time out there in Oklahoma. All right. Thank you so much. And remember, Bye. when those sirens go off, duck. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's, that's, a, that's what All I right, learned. Thank you, guys. All right. Thanks, Charla. Bye. <laughs> Well, that was great. I hope that helped everybody that had questions about uh, building confidence and uh, those wacky situations that happen. So we had a street in California called Las Palmas. And in Las Palmas, there was lots of palm trees. And the palm fronds would fall all over the trail that you were supposed to walk down in order to get to the trail system if you boarded your horses in this neighborhood. I was 18 years old and I became that girl because everybody wanted me to be the brave one to ride their horses up and down the street on these palm fronds because if you step on one side of them, it acts as a teeter-totter and it slaps your horse in the belly. And they also make this weird noise too. They're they're, Yeah. yeah. Yes. You know, coming yes. from the other coast, what yes. I'm talking about. So we would pick up all these palm fronds. I'm sure the city loved it. And we'd put them all around the horse's feed area or water area so that they would get used to stepping on them while they were eating or drinking. So many, many ways to uh, get horses over fear of different things. That's for sure. Well, where can people learn more about the CHA? Go to chainstructors.com and you can find somebody near you if you're looking for that or you can um, search us by clinics or conferences and come and learn and network with other horse folks. Well, I hope that uh, Jamie is back here tomorrow. She should have made it home from from her adventures over the weekend and we'll be back here tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with our Wednesday show. Just wanted, uh, we'll be talking a lot more about this tomorrow, I'm sure. But uh, congratulations to the eventing team for the United States for the Olympics was announced yesterday. And Mm -hmm. our friend, a good friend of the show, Elisa Wallace, who also is known as a Mustang trainer and does great videos and everything, uh, was named as a reserve to the team. So congratulations to her. And uh, I'll be recording the Horse Husbands episode with her husband, Timothy, tonight. And I know he's very excited. Uh, now, as a reserve, she's not a traveling reserve, which means that uh, some horses have to drop out before she's in. But it's still what an honor, right, to be named to what eight people who are named to the uh, Olympic yes. team. That's a tremendous honor. So, congratulations to her and to everybody else involved. There, we'll talk a lot more about that tomorrow. Thank you, Christy. Thank you, Glenn. And uh, we'll see you next month. Uh, Christy will be back, as she is all the time. Go to HorsesInTheMorning.com, and right now search Certified Horsemanship Association. I'll bring up all the past episodes. Or you can head to Horse Radio Network, and by the end of the week, we'll have a little, uh, we'll have your logo on the homepage that people can go to just your episode. So all of that is coming up here very shortly. And we'll see everybody. Have a safe day, and uh, get out, work with them on the ground. We sometimes forget about that, but it's still step one to making sure you're safe when you're riding. Goodbye, everyone. Wear your helmets. 